Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our discussion today is on issues arising from the Sudarshan TV news case currently under consideration by the Supreme Court. So the bare facts of the case I think most would know by now. Sudarshan TV is a private channel which aired a series of episodes of a program called UPSC Jihad and claimed that it had uncovered a plot in which Muslims were infiltrating in courts of course the civil services. So in a rather heated hearing last week a very angry supreme court clearly stated that the show was an attempt to vilify Muslims. It granted an injunction on the telecast of the program stopping it for now and also said it is going to decide how to and if at all it must rule on broader questions including the point at which free speech in the media crosses the rubicon to insult and breach the dignity of a community and could thus be considered hate speech we'll pick up on that second thread in this episode and take the discussion forward looking at the questions of law regarding hate speech in india that the supreme court now has an opportunity to bring some clarity to with this case I'm joined for this episode by Surit Patasarathy. He is an advocate of the Madras High Court and a regular columnist for the Hindu. Surit, welcome again to the podcast. Thank you again for joining us. My pleasure, Jant. Thanks for having me. So, as I mentioned, the occasion for this discussion is the Supreme Court's order on this program aired by Sudarshan TV. So, as you've noted yourself in an article you've written for the Hindu recently, which we linked to also with this podcast there was a previous occasion on august 28th when the court said it must be circumspect especially since statutory authorities were already vested with powers to ensure compliance with the law they're talking about whether or not they should grant an injunction on the airing of this program so what are these laws and powers that the court was referring to let's just start with that Yeah so the court here was referring in particular to the program code or something which is called as the program code this is a set of regulations that has been made under the cable television network rules of 1994 and these rules read with the parent legislation are meant to regulate cable tv in india now it's been 26 years since then but uh, uh, these regulations have scarcely been modified and i think we're quite clear on the kind of change that might be necessary now this under these rules of 1990 under these 1994 rules you have a rule 6a and that rule 6a is what is basically known as the program code and that rule says that no program should be carried in a cable service which among other things offends against good taste or decency contains criticism of friendly countries contains attacks on religions or communities contains anything which is obscene defamatory which is com- comprises half truths which is likely to encourage or incite violence contains aspersions against the integrity of the president or the judiciary and so forth it continues in that vein so it's really very broadly worded and the authorities have been acting under these rules to exercise all manners of powers you know sometimes they've asked for apology scrolls to be run by channels that have breached the program code they can even ban channels from operation if they choose to do so and because under sections 19 and 20 of the cable tv act the government has both the power to prohibit transmission of certain programs in public interest 
and also to prohibit operation of cable television networks in public interest, where it, depending on what it chooses to do. So the court has really been quite unevenly applied, partly because its provisions are quite vague and unclear. So this case, this case concerning Sudarshan News, I think gives the Supreme Court a chance to try and interpret the contents of the program code in a manner that can bring it in line with the Constitution's text. Right. So the program code is basically um, the, the basis on which this case is proceeding at the moment. Uh, am I right? Because the Solicitor General today also informed the Supreme Court that the government has issued a show cause notice to Sudarshan News. You're right. I mean, the initial sort of petition that was filed before the court, that was done on the basis of the trailers that were released by Sudarshan News. So that time the government hadn't really acted. Now, it was on the basis of the trailers that the Supreme Court was moved. And the Supreme Court said that it can't impose a prior restraint on speech and that it has to be circumspect in doing so because there are anyway these statutory authorities that have the powers to take action. And the court was referring to the authorities that are empowered under the program code, among other things. So now, of course, the Solicitor General has informed the court that the government is potentially considering action against Russian News, that it's issued a show cost notice to them to explain themselves. And then thereafter, it will consider what action needs to be taken. So, uh, so let's just move on to the question of um, of hate speech now. So, on the face of it, um, you know, since since this case, uh, uh, since reporting on this case emerged, we've kind of gotten to know more about what uh, this program, uh, this, this set of programs, actually was. And um, you know, just to summarize, even the Supreme Court said that it brought uh, one community, that is Muslims, into public hatred and disrepute. I think uh, most of our listeners would know the. Um, the basis on which uh, these these programs were aired, what the allegations that they seem to be making. But yet our laws present problems in clearly delineating what is hate speech uh, from what is offensive. So firstly, uh, what have previous judgments of the Supreme Court said? Have they laid down a clear path for this? Uh, right. So I think there's no clear category of laws that are known as hate speech laws in India. There is no singular definition of hate speech under India's laws. But there are, of course, a number of different provisions especially in the Indian Penal Code, which can be categorized under, I think, what is a corpus of what one might regard as a hate speech restriction. You have Section 153A of the IPC, which deals with speech that seeks to promote enmity between different religions, castes, communities, etc. And you have 295A, which criminalizes speech that outrages religious feelings. I mean, this can be termed as India's equivalent of a blasphemy law. But both of these laws are or rather both of these provisions are quite vaguely worded. And over the years, they've suffered from tremendous misuse. And you have other procedural laws under the Criminal Procedure Code, which allows, for example, state governments to prohibit or to even to ban books, pamphlets, etc., where they offend 153A or 295A. And the Supreme Court's judgment in the case of Sri Baragur Ramachandrapa is an excellent example here of how these provisions have been misused. Now, in this case, the ban in question was of a Kannada novel, which was based around the life of the saint Basaveshwara. This was a fictional account. And the novel said that Basaveshwara's son was born out of wedlock. So this led to substantial outrage in the state of Karnataka, and the state wound up banning the book under the Criminal Procedure Court. The Supreme Court, you know, where the matter ultimately reached, upheld the ban. And the Supreme Court was effectively telling us that even if the work is a work of fiction, if the author is unable to show the court that there was you know, no scholarly consensus, for example, in his favor, 
or and 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 some of this is detailed in Gautam Bhatia's book Offend, Shock, and Disturb, and I would urge uh, listeners to read that as well. Uh, is that and and the Supreme Court said that if you know if a book is deliberately designed to be hurtful, then that is sufficient for a ban. And I and I would therefore say that this this sort of reasoning kind of takes our hate speech laws into completely vague territory. And similar was the case with James Lane's book Shivaji, a Hindu King in Muslim India. There, the Bombay High Court had reversed the ban, and the Supreme Court upheld—I mean, also reversed the ban by upholding the Bombay High Court's judgment. But quite shockingly, the court said there that historical truth is no defence. So you really have a set of judgments which place a very, very sort of uh, dangerous interpretation of these provisions of sections 153A and 295A, which allows speech to be chilled quite easily. So when it comes to when it comes to um, the Supreme Court basically speaking about what kind of speech can be criminalized, so there um, I think the most recent kind of standard that we have is in the Shreya Singhal case in 2015, um, I think, where the Supreme Court specifically refers to the Brandenburg test, which is the difference between um, speech that is advocating something and speech that is actually inciting uh, violence. So that is very much, you know, the, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. view on free speech, but that, um, but consensus around free speech in European democracies, for instance, is framed differently. Um, so, can you sort of explain this concept a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, there is this general belief. I mean, I think there are two popular misconceptions really about American free speech jurisprudence, and let me try and bust both of those misconceptions to the extent possible. The first misconception is that the First Amendment. Of, to America's constitution somehow grants an absolute right to free speech. Now, it doesn't do that. It does grant a right to free speech, and the Supreme Court of the United States has repeatedly read into it various limitations. For example, defamatory speech is not protected. Malicious advertisements are not protected. And again, speech that incites violence is not protected. So it's not as if all speech is protected. Now, of course, the threshold is far higher under American law than it would be under the laws of Europe, where hate speech is found to be something which is capable of being restricted, even if it doesn't lead to violence or even if it's unlikely to lead directly to violence. And I'll just come to that distinction shortly. Sure. Uh, the second, I think, misconception about American uh, free speech jurisprudence is that this American model is somehow the commonly held model in most Western democracies, which it isn't. And that, you know, sort of uh, leads into the distinction that I was making between hate speech laws in Europe and between those laws in America. Now, across the world, in most Western democracies, with the exception of the United States, the general standard that is applied is that laws which evoke hatred, which vilify minority communities or which sort of go beyond just offending the sensibilities of a community which essentially strike at their dignity those kinds of speech are not protected in america that kind of speech would be protected even openly racist speech would be protected so long as it doesn't incite violence and the right. test that is applied in the u.s is this test that you mentioned in the brand the brandenburg test where a distinction is drawn between mere advocacy and incitement to violence. And this is the standard that the Indian Supreme Court has adopted in Shreya Singhal's case as well, where, of course, Section 66A of the Information Technology Act was struck down. 
But there are two aspects to our free speech uh, sort of jurisprudence in the context of hate speech laws. Now, I mean, as all of us know by now that Article 19.1a of the Constitution guarantees a right to free speech. The limitations on this right are contained in Article 19.2. Broadly, hate speech laws can be brought within two of these grounds that are mentioned in 19.2. One of those is public order and the other is morality. Now, as far as public order goes, you, it's fine to apply the Brandenburg test. And in fact, that should be the test that is applied. But insofar as morality is concerned, there is an argument to be made that if morality is read as something akin to constitutional morality, as opposed to merely societal morality, where the broad values of the constitution in terms of liberty, equality, and fraternity are taken into account, then there is an argument to be made that you can have laws that will restrict speech, not merely because that speech leads to incitement to violence, but because that speech undermines the dignity of communities, because it vilifies certain groups. And, and of course, that is the distinction that I think that the Supreme Court needs to draw out in the Sudarshan News case by pointing out what would amount to that kind of a hate speech as opposed to what would be merely offensive speech. Right. And can we sort of point this out with um, an example from, from abroad that is not the U.S.? Um, Certainly. Say. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think you need to take, I mean, even if you don't take a real sort of example, you, you could sort of use, hypo, I mean, even if you were to take a hypothetical example, let's say. Sure. Let's say, and, and I make this uh, example in my piece for the Hindu as well. Now, if you were to say mock a religion's broad tenets, let's say Buddhism's tenets, and you say that this this makes no sense, that this is uh, complete nonsense or whatever, and even if it offends the sensibilities of that religion's practitioners, that would be merely offensive speech. That wouldn't necessarily be hate speech. But if somebody were to say that all Buddhists were amoral human beings, then that would certainly qualify as hate speech. Similarly, a work of satire on a religious figure that merely outrages the sentiments of, you know, that figure's followers, that would be safeguarded, that would be protected speech. But speech that vilifies an entire community by describing them, say, as anti-nationals. If we were to say that all Muslims in India are anti-nationals, for example, that would be classic hate speech and that would not be protected. So one of the things I wanted to bring up, you referred to it too, is the fact that the uh, the IPC has certain provisions which, um, though they are loosely worded and vague, kind of uh, substitute for what could be legislation around uh, around hate speech. So, um, I mean, th- does that does that clash with uh, the provisions of uh, Article nineteen two, which uh, which which provides some safeguards? Yes, yeah. See, I think if you were to read sections one fifty three a and two ninety five a literally. It, it would certainly violate the guarantee of the right to free speech and expression contained in Article 19.1a because it doesn't fall properly within those restrictions contained in 19.2, especially if you were to apply the judgment in Shreya Singhal's case. But I, this is not, however, to suggest that we must not have hate speech laws in India. I'm only suggesting that these laws need to be tailored to the Constitution. But if these provisions continue to exist on the statute books, then what we certainly do need is to read them down to ensure that the way they're interpreted is in consonance with the guarantee of the right to free speech under Article 19.1a. And I think one way to do that is by saying that insofar as the public order restriction is concerned, you apply the test that is evolved in Shreya Singhal and say that these provisions can be invoked 
only when there is an imminent threat to violence only when there is you know when there's a danger that isn't remote or conjectural or far fetched in so far as the morality aspect of it is concerned we need to sort of read that morality contained in article 192 as constitutional morality and there's some amount of uh, you know precedents for this in the recent past in terms of recent supreme court judgments not necessarily on free speech but on broader areas where morality has been read as constitutional morality and what you want in those case cases is to say that where speech amounts to hate speech and i and i sort of drew or tried to draw out that just i tried drawing out that distinction earlier where it fits within that kind of definition then it you can still invoke 153a or 295a and that needs to be very tightly drawn out this is because you know the broad philosophical basis for hate speech laws is contained in the works of the a uh, legal philosopher jeremy waldron and he says that hate speech attacks two key tenets of a democratic republic it attacks on the one hand the guarantee of dignity to all human beings and the idea of inclusiveness which is really a public good in any democracy so if the supreme court can kind of draw out this distinction then i think that would be useful right so one other point of clarification about these provisions in the ipc uh is that why is no one seeking to apply them in this case to the program aired by sudarshan tv uh why can they not be applied so i mean these provisions of law are always open and people might invoke it we don't know if they're going to invoke it in this case or not but the difficulty as i said is that mere criminal prosecution might not be sufficient here because once speech is made and if the speech is of a nature where it falls within that definition of hate speech where it vilifies an entire community it's not quite possible to make adequate reparations which is why i think this case needs to be fought not merely with respect to whether it constitutes a criminal offense or not but also in terms of whether the authorities are acting properly under the cable tv act and under the cable tv rules and and whether and whether or not they're applying the program code properly and because there might be numerous cases where something might not be an offense under 153a or 295a but it might still violate the program code because it constitutes hate speech of some of some nature or the other so which is why i think the program code also needs to be chiseled into a constitutionally committed model and the supreme court certainly has an opportunity to do that here right so just um what are the what is the what is the opportunity uh, do you think that's before the supreme court now as they are coming to a, coming to an order in this case in terms of in terms of bringing some clarity to to what are the provisions that are there in the ipc as well as the program code uh, that you mentioned earlier yeah i think uh, in terms of the opportunity that the supreme court has it has a case before it with a set of facts so it should obviously look to interpret the law in light of in light of the facts of that case it has to see whether the speech made in that particular case offends the program code or not now it might want to give a finding on that or it may not want to depending on whether the government ultimately chooses to proceed with the uh, with any action against sudarshan news or not and that's something that we have to keep a watch on but i think the supreme court more than anything else has an opportunity here to tell india that hate speech is not something that will be tolerated that we have laws on our books which exist to prevent hate speech where action ought to be taken to prevent hate speech and in doing this i think it needs to delineate the limits of what constitutes hate speech very carefully 
this is not something that can be done flippantly or you know without applying substantial and sufficient nuance and i think the court is well placed to do that it should be able to distinguish between merely offensive speech and hate speech and I, and i think this involves not merely an interpretation of 153a or 295a as much as the broadcast code as well the program code as well because the program code is an incredibly vague and amorphous uh, sort of provision and it's been misused to suit various different uh, interests in the past it needs to be chiseled into something which can be constitutionally committed and that is something that the supreme court certainly has the opportunity to do right now and just to close for it um you argue that uh, so the, the issue of prior restraint um is something that you also mentioned in your piece and i just want to draw you out on that a little bit so you say that prior restraint is in some ways uh, even more complicated than uh, defining um, these contours of what might constitute hate speech and uh, so why is this a more delicate question the one on prior restraint it's far more delicate because i think prior restraint essentially involves a regime where the state is given substantial amount of power where right. the government is able to censor speech with uh, almost alacrity and it makes it much easier for the government i think to kind of quell free speech than it would be if you know you gave the gave it an opportunity to take action subsequent to the speech being delivered and we've seen the kind of dangers inherent in this in the sort of regime which allows for book bans we spoke about the ban of the book in karnataka earlier the shivaji book case etc we've also seen the effect it's had on films under the cinematograph act uh, the cinematograph act was in fact challenged earlier before the supreme court in k abbas's case and it was upheld this regime of pre censorship and prior restraint was upheld in that case so it really allows the government i think substantial powers to control public dialogue to control democracy by placing restraints on speech which is why any prior restraint on speech has to be very very narrowly tailored and the other difficulty with a regime of prior restraint is that once a prior restraint is imposed the onus then is on the person who is trying to make the speech to try and have that challenged he then has to go before the before a court of law or before some other statutory authority and say that look i've not been allowed to speak out i have not been allowed to exercise my right to free expression and this therefore needs to be you know tested on the other hand if speech is made then the and and if that speech is offensive if it's defamatory if it's violates some law or the other then the government is always at liberty to take action in accordance with law but uh, the difficulty with hate speech and this is where i think there's a slight distinction that needs to be drawn up is that it's impossible or at least very very difficult to uh pay proper reparations for hate speech because you're not merely speaking about the violation of one individual's right as much as you're speaking about the violation of a community's right where an entire community has been vilified so it's not as easy to make reparations for hate speech which is why i think some sort of regime of prior restraint for hate speech could be permissible look look at the i mean we don't need to look at the sudarshan news case but if you have a case where a certain number of episodes let's say have been released and you know where the subsequent episodes are likely to go then i think it's fine for a court of law to try and test whether what is likely to follow is something which is likely to be hate speech and and then throw the onus on the person who wants to make the speech to try and establish before the authorities that uh, you know it won't be delivering hate speech and the onus should be on them in such cases alone but it has to be very very narrowly tailored so right um, i think we'll end it there thank you so much for joining us once again my pleasure in focus will be back soon 
with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.